Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Friday Buckeye Talk from your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. We are replicating the Wednesday pod because you guys like the Wednesday pod. We did 20 twi- quick questions that led to five-minute discussions. And we got some feedback from our tech subscribers, things like this from the 614. Just wanted to say, loved the pod today. Great change up with such, such different questions. I do enjoy long Doug rants, but a bunch of mini Doug rants will do, I guess. Felt myself listening to every word and being locked into your answers. Peak Buckeye talk. We also got this from the 937. The 20 questions pod was awesome. Really nice that you guys were able to hit so many different and interesting topics. I think Doug hit the nail on the head with the conclusion of the last question where Nathan suggested maybe more time was needed. The reality is nobody knows what's going to happen with the one-and-done college football rule. And in approximately five minutes, you guys got all your points across. In the past, I think you would have talked in circles, not criticizing past podcasts because I enjoy them all. But I think that, I think that podcast might have provided a glimpse into the progression of takes on Buckeye Talk. Great job, guys. Keep up the good work. Finally, from the 614, I just wanted to tell you that today's podcast may have been your best one yet. Thank you for all you guys have been doing to keep us entertained while the world has been flipped on its head. Nathan, do you think we just did a good job or is it mostly just putting a fence around me is the key to peak Buckeye talk? I I certainly don't discount that putting restrictions on you will make this product better. However, I would say that it's more just in general (laughs) – that I, I think people appreciate probably just that crisp pace. And I appreciated it too. I thought it, it was a good, um, it was, it disciplined us kind of to, to have to just kind of bounce pretty quickly from topic to topic. I know these two, two and a half hour podcasts, like you, you said during on Wednesday we were, or Tuesday when we were recording it. Yeah. There are probably times where we do get sort of talking in circles. So it gives us a finite point. If you can't make your point 
and get in and get out in five minutes about any of those kinds of topics, then um, you probably are talking too long. So um, it was it was a good exercise, and I think it's something that will help us going forward. So this is the plan. We're going to do that today, and uh, that again, five-minute discussions. We have seven topics today. These are the questions we did not get to from the initial call-out to our tech subscribers. Uh, Stephen, do you think this is a format, not that we're going to do it for every podcast, but that we should – uh, drop in and use on a regular basis from now on. I do, especially it's, it's off season. And so there's only but so much, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that we can get into. And so that I think what the five minute limit did was it's what's your point. And instead of, you know, having this big lead in and rant up into your points, get to your point and stick to that point and allow everybody to kind of voice. I like that. I appreciate all the feedback but even there, even as you were explaining what you liked about it, Stephen, I just, I just took it a little personally. Like everything that is like, hey, we really like the thing, how it wasn't as much hot air. It's like, I, what, what do you think that means? So I, but I am self-reflective enough to be aware of my faults, um, and I like it. And I don't want to do that all the time because sometimes I want us to dive into something for a long time. But I do think we may have struck on something, and I'm going to tell you this. Now I'm going to do like the little side rail, like on PTI. These are the seven topics that are coming. There's a, a Tate Martell-Justin Fields discussion. There's a what is your biggest lame brain prediction for Ohio State this year. There's one about other meats that we like besides the primary meats that we talk about. There's a question about Maryland recruiting dual-threat quarterback Caleb Williams. There's a question about whether we feel more connected to Cleveland or Columbus. One about which Ohio State assistant coach will be the next head coach. And then one about what the plot of the first movie about the coronavirus pandemic will be. We're going to do our pitches. But before we get to that, two quick things, three quick things. One, try the texts. Uptick again. We see you joining in. Four quick things coming. If you want to be part of it, if you want to help shape the podcast, 614-350-3315. Send a text right now. As you're thinking about it and hearing this right now, send a text to get in on this so you can ask questions that help shape our quick hit podcasts. And there's something else coming because this is another reason to be a tech subscriber. Nathan, explain what's going to start happening with the podcast on Mondays. Yes, you teased to this when we did a podcast earlier this week. I guess it would have been for Wednesday's pod. That, um, and it, it may kind of relate to what we were doing a little bit on Wednesday because it's going to be taking a question, bringing it into kind of a tighter focus on one of the shorter pods. So we're right now, the, the running title, I think we're going to go with it, is Mark It Down Mondays. And we're going to you know, present a topic or a question or something that we have to take a stand on. Um, it could be a yes or no. It could be um, who. It could be which or, you know, how a number or something like that, but something that all three of us are going to have to say, I'm taking a stand. I'm saying this is what's going to happen. Um, so the first question is already out there for our texters. I sent it out today about uh, 10, 15 on Thursday, and that's going to be for the Monday podcast. So you guys get to, and gals get to answer and you can, you, 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 you can, it, it, this one involves a number, but also um, you can tell us who you think it applies to. And you can tell us why. And we're going to kind of tally those results and we're going to read, as we usually do, read some of those results on the podcast. But it's going to be hopefully some good arguments between the three of us, but also some good insight and uh, getting a feeling of how you guys and gals out there in the fan base feel about these topics. The thing I like best about this idea that Nathan came up with is it's a complicated, complex question with a twist 
that leads to a very specific, simple answer. So it's very easy to answer, but then in defending or explaining your answer, it's going to get complicated and fun. So I'm really looking forward to Market Down Mondays. Make sure you guys can be directly be a part of it. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Just make sure you're subscribed and listening to this podcast so you can catch it on Monday. It's going to be fun. But if you want your voice heard, if you want your, vo your vote tallied, if you want to get the topic ahead of time, 614-350-3315. Two more things before we start our seven quick questions. Steven, there's a basketball commit. Who is hey. he and how big of a deal is it? Bowen Hardman out of Princeton, which if you're for you Ohio State football fans, if that high school sounds familiar, it should. Paris Johnson Jr. and Darion Henry are both out of there as well, as well as, well as 2010 commit Jordan Cyber, who initially, eventually transferred to Dayton. But it's it's pretty it's a big deal given the fact that Ohio State's already they've pretty much wrapped up their 2021 class. There is one Matt Ty Braham is the only guy they're still in on on 2021, adding to that class of all Ohio kids. And it looks like they're going to be trying to do the same thing in 2022, starting with Hardman. I actually talked to him earlier today before we recorded this podcast on a Thursday. That story will probably be up by the time most of you guys hear this. But he compared himself to Gordon Hayward, but like the butler of Gordon Hayward, not the one that's on the Celtics now who looks like a shell of himself at times, where he's a sharp shooter from the outside and still has the ability to put the ball on the floor. He says that he can. he's probably going to sprout up to about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's at 6'3", 160 pounds, which – he knows he's going to have to put on some weight if he wants to play in the Big Ten. But a pretty solid pickup. He's not the five-star kid yet that you would think at a sophomore level would probably be committing. But he's a guy who's got a lot of room to grow and can be something special. To be fair, not to put too fine a point on it, but don't a lot of tall, skinny, white kids <laughs> who can dribble and shoot compare themselves to Gordon Hayward? I didn't want to say that to him. But as we were talking and he pointed out other people, like he knows it. Uh, Tyler Harrow, another kid who was at Kentucky, he knows that. Like, yeah, most of the tall, skinny white kids who play like they're from the inner city get compared to like three people. Yeah. I, so I, this... I watched, uh, I covered Gordon Hayward games when he was in high school, mm -hmm. um, w before he was Gordon Hayward, before, when he was still a guy who was thinking he might not even play college basketball so he could play tennis. Um, and Gordon Hayward back then did it would have not probably described himself as the way these guys now describe themselves as being on the next Gordon Hayward, which and I think I'm is not, interesting. I'm not making fun of the kid. I just think it's a funny thing because we all we all do that. But but part of it is but he's got to grow to be Gordon Hayward because Gordon Hayward grew too, right? I mean Nathan, when you watched that high school Gordon Hayward, he wasn't as big as he was by the time he was lighting up at Butler, right? By the time he was a senior, he he had grown a little bit, and that's when he had decided to go to Butler and had had pushed through. But before that, no, he was he was an okay athlete for a, for a Indiana high school, but um, no, not not anything super special jumped out at you. But again, that's it's across the board. It's not just the skinny white shooters. It's like you go talk to any like big um, like a, any kid that's pushing like towards seven foot, and none of them say, "Oh, I really model myself after like random stiff." That's like a the second team center for the last team in the NBA. They always say, Oh, I'm kind of like some post star. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, 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 it's across all positions. Every, every tall, skinny black kid who can shoot and dribble from the outside thinks Kevin Durant. Durant. So, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's what we do. It's how the world works. Um, but this kid, so you said he's six, three Steven. So, but he's expecting yeah. to put some size on still. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously the way it's going to come, but yeah, he thinks like he, he actually said he had gone to the doctor right before all this, like, started and he still go out in the world and do stuff and he's they told him about two or three more inches so that's what six 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 seven which i mean if the way he, if 
as a two guard playing like that, who can both be a you know a threat behind the arc, but also put the ball on the floor, that's a pretty viable weapon for Ohio State. And if you look at their roster for this upcoming season, there's a lot of guys who fit that bill, whether it's Seth Towns or Justice Ewing as wings who are six seven, six eight in that range, who can do a little bit of everything at three level scores. I'll be curious where Chris Holtman goes. I mean, I, I feel like there's a little bit extra on every Chris Holtman commitment for a while now because they've yeah. had so much movement within the program. It's, everything is like, oh, oh, like ramped up, fair or not. Um, but I do think you can wing yourself into oblivion. You know, it's like everybody wants six, seven wings. And then you look around, and it's like, hey, we have five, six, seven wings, but we don't have any point guards. And we don't have anybody who can, who can rebound. You know, so I do I, not that. You know, that's great. Three and D wings are, are the key to success at any level of basketball right now. Um, but you've got to fit the roster. You've got to fit other guys into that as well. So I'll be curious to see where this goes, but a big deal for Ohio State. And then one quick thing, but we want to get to this as well. Um, Jerry Emig and uh, the Ohio State Sports Information Department has been doing a really nice job of giving us access to people, um, having conference calls where the Ohio State beat reporters hop on with different people. Uh, Mickey Marotti. Talk to everybody on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers talked to us. And these were like the first players we've had access to. We've had assistant coaches. We've had Ryan Day. We've had Mickey Marotti. Uh, Nathan, you already have a story up. Again, we're recording this Thursday afternoon for Friday. Uh, your first initial Myers-Wyatt Davis story is already up. I'm going to write something on it. What was your main takeaway from what those guys said today? So we've obviously had a lot of conversations, as you said. They've been giving us decent access with coaches, um, assistant coaches, other personnel, Gene Smith. We've talked to a lot of those people. The voice that's been missing from all this has been the Ohio State football player, really Ohio State athletes in general, but for our purposes, specifically Ohio State football. And today was really our first chance to get to talk to those players. And I think some of them probably said things on social media, but this was our first chance to ask them questions. And I thought it was important to get out there. And this is only two guys, and it's, it's you know, the, the, the entire roster may not feel this way. But both of these guys said, Absolutely. I want to play this fall and I'm willing to make whatever sacrifices it takes to play this fall. I know that there's some risk involved, um, but it's football. There's always risk involved and they uh, they're willing to do the testing. They're willing to do get their temperature taken. They're willing to do the quarantining that's involved. They want to play football that bad. Missing football would be that kind of devastating to them. Um, I think one of them maybe even used that word or something close to it, that it's really hard for them. They know they only have so many years, even guys like them that have a professional future, most likely. They only have so many years of college football and Ohio State expects to be so good this fall. They don't want to miss what that could be. So it was it was good to finally get a voice of them saying, yes, we acknowledge that here are the things that it would take to play football this fall and they're inconvenient and they're sacrifices. I know that's a word that, that Josh Myers used, I believe was there's going to be sacrifice involved, but we're willing to do that because it means that much to us. So now whether, now that doesn't really change the equation necessarily that, that schools and conferences and whoever are going to have to make, but it is important. I thought to get that voice out there of them saying, we're aware of what's going on. We do have kind of a, a long view of this, but here's why it's worth it to us. I found it very interesting and it reinforced to me that, I mean, just truly the, the college athletics conversation, particularly football with all the money involved, is just very difficult because it was a reminder again of how in between all these guys are. That when you're in high school, you just want to play your sport with your friend and that's, everybody, that's all that anybody expects. I love playing this sport with my friends um, and it's cool and it's fun and I love it. And then when you're a pro, you're – 
obviously you still love the sport, but you're making money. You're making a lot of money sometimes. You're you're you know providing for your family, um, and you're not going to be pushed around. You're making you're part of a union. You're making sure that that you're getting a fair cut from ownership. And it's a business. It's a job. And that these guys are right smack in the middle of that. Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers a year from now are going to have a lot of money in their bank accounts because they're both probably in their last year at Ohio State almost certainly. And they're both going to be high NFL draft picks if things go as expected. But there was none of that, Nathan, none of that on this call. They just want to play. They'll give up. They'll do anything to play. And it was a reminder to me of sort of the purity of that, of like, man, they are kind of still just kids in a lot of ways, but also the reminder of like, so they're not really going to be out there necessarily protecting themselves or thinking about themselves. And it's just a reminder that it's, a, it's our responsibility. It's college football's responsibility to make sure someone is looking out for them because they're just thinking about get me on a field with my guys. And so um, I found it like almost beautiful the way they were so earnest about it, but also like this is some real world stuff and, and, as much as I've thought play and just make sure you don't have, you know, you don't have fans in the stands, but test and do what you need for these guys. It really is up to somebody else to keep them safe. Cause that's not what they're thinking about. You know, they, they're not, it's not that they're stupid. They're just, and they're not even naive. They're just priorities. They're just thinking about what they love and what they love is football. So uh, I'm going to write about that. We'll write about it some more. I thought it was a really enlightening conversation. So make sure you guys are reading that at cleveland.com slash OSU. So drop a review for the podcasts. Um, make sure you try the text if you haven't yet. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. And here we go. Our five minutes. I got my stopwatch. Our five-minute discussion, seven topics commencing now from the 818 um, from our guy in Japan who is in the Navy and shipped out a couple months ago, right before all this stuff started. I got to get in touch with this guy again because he sent me some info. And we appreciate what you're doing for us from the 818. From Japan, what would the state of the program look like if Justin Fields did not transfer to Ohio State and Tate Martell was QB1? How successful would last season have been? And how would we be looking going into this season? Dang, I need sports, Buckeye Navy. Uh, You have written about this in the past, Stephen. Uh, Let's start with you there. Imagine Mm -hmm. a world where... Tate Martell was last year's starting quarterback and is predicted to be this year's starting quarterback. And Justin Fields, let's say, stayed at Georgia. What would it be like for Ohio State football? So I'm going to use all of this is based off of we've already seen what every team is. I think this team loses two games because I don't think they last, I don't think last they beat, year or this year. La, last year. Okay. Last year they lose two games. They don't beat Penn State, and. Th- they might not beat Michigan. I don't like, let's just be honest here because that's a big difference in quarterback talent right there. I think Chase Young is not a Heisman candidate because even if he puts up that exact same stat line, part of his story, a part of his pitch for being able to go was he was the most dominant player on the most dominant team in college football. Well, Ohio State is no longer the most dominant team in college football. And also he's been suspended for two games. So he's playing on a two loss team and he missed two games and the team is not nearly as good as it was this year. So that eliminates him from even going to New York. I don't think J.K. Dobbins is a two-yard, 2,000-yard rush, rushing, has a 2,000-yard rushing season because, one, Tate Martell takes some of those rushes away in read option situations. But also, 
they're not as big of a threat in the passing game because Tate Martell is not the thrower that Justin Fielder is. He might not even have been the type of thrower Matthew Baldwin would have been as a Ohio State starting quarterback. So there's two losses, one with Penn State, maybe at Michigan, but also all these other individual accolades and statistic things that got that, that happened last year don't happen because the threat at quarterback is just not the same. We're going to get into this with some more Justin Fields stuff later on because there has been a suggestion from a texture of let's analyze the 2020 season and then say what would happen in this game if you put Justin Fields on the other team. I love thinking about how much one quarterback, even a great program, how much one quarterback can change it. Nathan, you were not intimately familiar with the phenomenon at Ohio State that was Tate Martell, but you certainly witnessed Justin Fields up close. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really imagine um, as talented as Ohio State was last season, the, immer- the the inclusion of Justin Fields obviously took that offense to a different level. I think you saw that in the production that you got from J.K. Dobbins. You saw that in the production you got, I think, from some of the receivers. Uh, so I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that taking a more, uh, <clears throat> quote-unquote, regular quarterback, even even if Terry Martell is pretty good, that it doesn't have a detrimental effect on the offense as a whole in some of those games that, that Steven's talking about. I don't know if I believe the Michigan game, the talent disparity might have still been strong enough in the Michigan game that it doesn't flip that. I don't know if they win that rematch against Wisconsin, though. I mean, without Fields, I know he was compromised that night, and that affected the way he played that game in Indianapolis. But can can Ohio State make the comeback it does without someone as talented as him at quarterback? I don't know. So um, I think he's right. I think it, it definitely probably would have resulted in a couple of losses, um, and especially if they were early on or it, it, to a game like Michigan, then uh, from what I have seen and, and heard and read, then I think introducing Tate Martell's personality into things in place of Justin Fields' uh, personality. Um, and Justin's a good guy, but he's just not the same kind of personality that we've seen from the, I think Tate Martell and his background that, uh, that might've made things more interesting for guys like us last season. So I think it's very possible that the season would have looked, looked a lot like 2016 for Ohio state, which means a pretty similar regular season to what happened. And then when they got to the playoff, they might've gotten their doors blown off by Clemson and had like a 31 nothing kind of thing and a realization of like, Oh, that's right. This kind of quarterback can get us through the regular season, but it's not going to fly when we're competing for a national championship. I think it's possible that we have gone to like sort of underrating Tate Martell now because he went to Miami. He didn't win the job. He played like a little bit of receiver there. He's having like Instagram issues with a bikini model girlfriend and his mom's fighting on Instagram with the girlfriend. And like, there would have maybe been some drama. So what you brought up, Nathan, of like, you're not just losing Justin Fields talent. You're very maybe likely inserting extra drama into Ryan Day's first year as a head coach. But I think as, and not to take away from JT Barrett, and I don't think Tate would have been the kind of leader that JT was, but if you keep Tate in a structure and have good guys around him, right, and you have, like, K.J. Hill and Austin Mack and some, like, good vet and Rashad Berry and some good veteran guys um, trying to, like, keep him in line, I think, I think he would have been more in line at Ohio State than he was at Miami. And I think they might have zone-readed people to death. Zone-read, zoned-read. Like, I think Tate was pretty good at that. I think he was a little bit of a magician with that. I think they would have worked that really well. 
Ryan Day's adaptable. He would not have had a pro-style passing offense with Tate Martell at quarterback, but he would have had to adapt. And we would have seen the evolution of the Ryan Day passing attack with the next quarterback. We'd be sitting here saying, Jack Miller, C.J. Stroud, uh, Kyle McCord, wait till they get here. Then we'll really see what Ryan Day can do because for the moment, he's basically using an Urban Meyer quarterback and adapting to him. I think maybe just because, yeah, Penn State was close, but maybe they pull it out. I still think they even beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game because enough of that, I think, was Justin's injury um, that if Tate's healthy, maybe they get through. But then it would have come to a screeching halt that would have had people calling into question like, okay, Ohio State's good, but they really can't compete on this level, which in the end would have been all about the quarterback and not really about anything else. Two questions here for both of you, because both of you brought up the second Wisconsin game. Are we assuming that this team still gets to the Big Ten championship game, meaning they beat Penn State? I think they would have. Okay. I think they would have. Okay. And then secondly – because of what we just saw, you just said, Doug, about the 2016 team and how they got the blown door and all because the door's blown off because of the quarterback situation, could Ohio State have been in a similar situation that Clemson was in with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence where because the quarterback talent is probably better as far as being a vertical passing game, could Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud have come in to 2020 spring camp and actually try to compete and win a starting job over Tate Martell? I think we'd be in a very interesting place right now because I think maybe we all would have been theorizing about that and then spring football would have been wiped out and it would have lessened the chances mm-hmm. of that happening. Yeah. But I think we, we would have been sitting around this entire offseason saying, who will the starting quarterback be? Could one of these young guys beat out Tate Martell because they seem more like Ryan Day kind of quarterbacks and it would have led to a lot of angst this offseason. And in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, we might have had Tate Martell Instagramming, yeah. you know, hey freshman, come take my job, kind of like I meatball video. <laughs> and and we would every time we talked to Ryan Day in a conference call, I'd be like, Ryan, did you see Tate's tweet last week? What do you think that means for team morale? Is how and so um not that that's all bad. I, I like a little bit of Tate swag, but I think it could have been uh perhaps as Nathan said, more interesting at least for us, but maybe more problematic for Ryan Day. All right, that's seven minutes, seven and a half minutes. So we'll cut this one down. Number two, have you guys given any thought to what your Doug's lame brain idea for the season is? It's going to be hard to top nine and three, but maybe a prediction of total attendance for the season of above or below 20 or something like that. I don't know exactly what that means. But from the 704, I like the idea of a lame brain prediction referencing my prediction of a nine and three record a year ago. Nathan, what is your lame brain prediction? Oh, um, see, I sent you the things early yeah. so we could come yeah, up with the hard. answer. No, this was, this was hard. I'm not going to lie. This was extremely difficult. I have mine. I'll start with mine. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, you start. Th- this is what I'm worried. It's not that I'm making a prediction. It's like the thing that I've already been saying that could turn out to be totally wrong, which is my personal consternation about the running back position and kind of being like, I don't know about master Teague. I don't know about Trey sermon. Boy, you look at the recruiting rankings, you know, Brian Sneed was a top hundred guy, but he left. They haven't had a top hundred guy between JK Dobbins and now Evan Pryor and Travion Henderson. They sort of whiffed on the running back recruiting. It might jump up and bite them this year. This three headed monster. I don't know if it, 
Like, you know, I'm sort of waiting for, like, Master Teague to run for, like, 800 y- or 1,800 yards and for people to be like, hey, remember all the people who were like, I don't know if Ohio State has a good running back? They were totally wrong. That is, like, I'm, I think I'm right that their running game won't be as good and that none of those three guys individually are going to be, like, super awesome. But in the back of my head, like – whether it's Master Teague or Trey Sermon turns out to be like the best running back in the Big Ten, I don't think that's impossible. And then I know the texters and the listeners on this podcast will be bringing that up later in the season, which is great. You should make sure you do bring it up if I'm not wrong, because I really don't think it's going to happen. But I've been surprised by Ohio State guys before, because guess what? If you're at Ohio State, you're probably pretty talented, and maybe I'm underestimating you. So that's what I think it could be for me. So I'll go ahead. As high as I am on Josh Proctor, obviously, I think my biggest worry would be that it seems like a lot of those defensive backs in that room who haven't necessarily had an opportunity yet might have very high ceilings, but also have very low floors and how bad things can look. And the worry can be that we'll be maybe there closer to that low floor than they are the high ceiling and they get to the playoff and they can't stop anybody from throwing the ball. I think it's possible. I think it's a good one. Nathan, have you figured yours out? Yeah. So I I guess I'm going to go with like, I was very early on in this process of talking about this team. I expressed a lot of skepticism about the interior defensive line, about these guys being sort of, you know, they, they're unproven. You're asking guys who have never started before and we're only kind of lower in the rotation to step up and be, you know, big time, big 10 players. And as I've thought more and more about that, I realized that was probably, it may be into being 180 degrees opposite that, that, that uh, Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai could be maybe the, the best interior defensive line in the, in the conference. So maybe I would, I would put my, my, maybe that's what I'd take my reputation on something like that. Like, you know, all three of those guys will be in the Big Ten, all Big Ten conversation, that sort of thing. I do think the other one for me is everybody's fired up the, about the freshman receivers, the four true freshmen. Mm-hmm. We're anticipating them being integral parts of the receiver rotation, but particularly in a world where so much prep time has been cut short, I think it's possible that we get to the season and it's like, oh, look, Justin Fields just like missed a guy by – eight yards and it's because clearly the freshman ran the wrong route and like, Oh, look like, you know, Justin Fields put a ball, a ball up, you know, right on where a guy should have made a catch. And the freshman like didn't fight for the ball and allowed the DB to pick it off. And that we're like, Oh yeah, guess what? It doesn't matter how talented you are in high school. It's really hard to be really good as a true freshman in the big 10. And that, you know, it's all about Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. All of a sudden Jalen Harris is working in there and it's like, we put too much on these receivers because they were so highly rated. There's four of them and there's just a much longer adjustment period exacerbated by the coronavirus shutdown that they just don't look that great in 2020. I think that's on the table. I think another one, just for the sake of throwing it out there is what if this entire 2018 recruiting class was just a miss as a whole? What if Nicholas Petit Fred doesn't win the job? What if Teron Vincent you know, doesn't ever get to that form of the five-star guy? Tyreek Johnson, Jalen Gill's already gone. What if Tyreek Smith doesn't take a jump? And then they don't use tight ends. You had 13 top 100 recruits, and none of them have really popped yet, and it's year three. So what if this was just, as a whole, outside of Chris Olave, 
everything just because he was a three-star guy who just went ridiculous at the, at the end of his freshman season. What if this entire class was just a miss as a, the number two class in the country? I, I do think one of the my, one of my favorite things that Urban Meyer has ever said, sort of explaining the process of of college football, is the first two years are on us, the third years on you, the you mm-hmm. meeting the player that the coaches are here to develop you and get you ready and that kind of thing. But if like, you're not ready to contribute and do something by year three, then there's nothing else really the coaches can do because they spent two years putting that all in you. So this is a make or break year for all those guys in that way. I think that's a very interesting point, Steven. It's not that we're predicting it, but like that happens sometimes because you go back and say, Oh, I mean, you know, classes that miss that happens frequently mm-hmm. it doesn't happen a ton at ohio state i think it's a very interesting point to bring up as a lame brain idea all right number three question number three off topic from our guy Khalid, asking this for a change you guys always talk about food and the main proteins are either pork beef or chicken how about other protein slash meat choices what are the ones you've tried what was the weirdest one you tried also within the same context wanted to check if you guys tried lamb if you did did you like it from the 858 Nathan, we'll go to you on this. What are your meats, man? <laughs> I've tried lamb. It's good. I've had it in you know, Indian food and and things like that. Um, I've had – I don't think I've tried anything overly exotic. I mean, like I've had octopus. I've had um, – I had rabbit once when I was really small. I mean, being from like a more rural area of the country, things like rabbit and venison are a little bit more common. Um, the one I really love – and this isn't even like – it's not like – out there, but it's not one of those usual three is duck. I mean, duck is fantastic. I've had it, um, especially with like Mexican food. I've had like great duck tacos, duck enchiladas, things like that. It's just a, it's such a very fatty kind of bird meat. Um, but, but still, you know, succulent has a lot of flavor. So that's one I try to get whenever I can in those situations. Steven, what have you, what have your meat adventures been? That was very rural. Like this description of everything you just did in there, Nathan. That makes it, you know, just, yeah. it's very rural. I am yeah. at heart a rural boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've I've had duck meat jerk. before, and I've had venison before, but that's about it. I'm I'm sticking to the chicken, and I don't I don't eat pork, so just chicken and beef is usually. Yeah. I I used to get venison and veal confused. I didn't know which one was the deer and which one was the baby cow. Um. Do you guys care from a meat standpoint, like how cute the face of the meat is? No. No, I mean, that's eye of the beholder. There's people that think that cows are adorable, and uh, I don't. And, There's uh, people that I think, think cows I are think, adorable. I think, cows are, I think cows are good. I don't think they're adorable. I'm... I mean, you know, um, I, 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 yeah, no, I mean, I'll eat whatever. Okay, so there was a, uh, there's a restaurant my family uh, – when I was a kid, went a lot. We go sometimes now. Um, we go to Ocean City, New Jersey, as a beach vacation down the shore. Um, and there was a restaurant there, which I found sort of odd, a kind of odd kind of restaurant. But then I also guess I I get it. It's like a tourist destination. And their whole thing was that they had like crazy meats there. Um, and I'm trying to think what some of them were, but they definitely had kangaroo meat there. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if I ate it or not, but like that's what I'm talking about with the cute faces. Like, would you guys eat kangaroo and just be like, "Wow, this kangaroo is delicious," or would you be like, "Oh my god, I'm eating a kangaroo"? There was a hot dog place in Chicago, which I believe was called Hot Dugs, coincidentally, um, 
and they kind of specialized in, I mean, they had regular hot dogs too, but then they always had some kind of uh, more exotic sausage or whatever on. So it was, I remember them having alligator. I remember them having kangaroo. I don't remember if I, I think I would remember if I'd eaten kangaroo. So I'm pretty sure I did not. Um, but I was intrigued by it. It was a place where there was always like really long lines. I didn't even go there that much, but, um, and I think I just got like a regular whatever when I went there, but I, that was, that was the kind of place I had that stuff too. Yeah. So I've had gator. I had like gator appetizer, almost like chicken finger kind of things in Florida. Um, made my family eat that. And then this is not a meat, but when we were in Arizona for the, uh, for the Fiesta Bowl, we drove to the Grand Canyon for a day and we drove back um, and stopped at like this cowboy diner. And uh, we had cactus, like a cactus appetizer that was almost like a, I mean, it was like a calamari kind of thing, but I was, obviously again, it's not a meat and it's not like there's needles in it, but it was like, Hey, it's cactus. And my kids really liked the cactus. So, so that was good, but I don't know. I'm not a, there's a thing they have. There's a fast food place at, at the mall nearby, not a fast food place, the food court. It's called donor D O N E R. And it's German food, and they just have a big slab of lamb, and then like they they carve it off as you order, and they put it on there. My wife loves that. I am not a big lamb guy though, but if you want to try it, I would suggest eating some food court lamb in Columbus if you guys are into that. So, but Stephen, would you eat a kangaroo? Um, you would have to just give it to me. Like you can't tell me that's what we're going to do. You you have to just get me there and like put it in front of me. And yeah. Not tell me until I've eaten it. I mean, you can't really think about faces when you're eating meat. I have a very specific memory when uh, I was a kid. For some reason, we used to go golfing, and then we'd golf all day in the morning, and then we'd walk to Hardee's and eat lunch, and then we'd walk back to the golf course and golf all afternoon. And for whatever reason, one day at the Hardee's, I was eating my hamburger, and I just started thinking about cow faces, and like the face of what I was eating, and I had to like run in the bathroom and like throw up my hamburger. So it's not necessarily how cute it is just don't think of faces when you're eating meat but i don't really want to eat a kangaroo i will stare a cow dead in the face as i eat a ham cheeseburger my my fiance of it and my fiance recently remarked that she had never eaten lamb or goat i can't remember which one it was i'm like i've seen you eat euros like you've eaten you've definitely eaten lamb meat like that's that's part of the mix of meat that goes into a euro and she's like what and it's changed it i don't know if she'll ever eat a euro again nice she loves little lambs yeah nice all right number four on this is a recruiting question from the 614 should we be rooting for maryland to get caleb williams i find myself wanting them to we all know how big of a difference one star quarterback can make Imagine if they do and the Big Ten gets another team to prop up for a season or two. So baseline on this, Caleb Williams is the number five overall player, the number one quarterback, five-star recruit um, in the class of 2021. He's from Washington, D.C. Mike Loxley at Maryland is trying to keep local guys home, and I think he's down to a top three of LSU, Oklahoma, and Maryland. Uh, Steven, should Ohio State fans want – this six foot two, two hundred and nine pound, number one dual threat quarterback to go to a school in Ohio State's division. Yes or no? As a fan who likes to see your team win, no. But as a competitor, yes, I think so. I think from for just to bring up the conversation we had with Wisconsin and how they get propped up and 
there are some people who may think that that might help Ohio State's chances in some conversations just because they're propping up another Big Ten team. But if Maryland, who has already started down the path of getting these top 100 four- and five-star kids who are from that area to stay home since Michael Oxy's been hired, if they can land a five-star quarterback who's clearly going to be the quarterback of the future – and for some, and next year, Kyle McCord is winning this job, and we get to watch that for three years in a row because we know that you know those two guys are gonna would be the starters, and that would they play each other every year as Big Ten East opponents. I think it would make for a fun game to watch and an interesting competition to watch those two go out as two five star quarterbacks. So yeah, I'm I'm for it, and I think fans should be for it too. Nathan, should fans be for it? Yes or no? You know, I think if we had this discussion on the pod a few weeks ago about how much easier Clemson has it as far as getting to the playoff every year because of the conference that they play in um, compared to Ohio State. And that's even including Ohio State having games such as recent Maryland and Rutgers games that are basically walkovers like Clemson often has in the ACC. And so if any time a team like Maryland can get a – player of that caliber at that position especially their chances of beating Ohio State go up exponentially even though the full talent across the board is still going to probably be a disparity where you can take a really special player and put him at quarterback as we just talked recently about what would be the potential scenario of a team and a Mac team or an Ohio uh, another Ohio team upsetting Ohio State kind of the same thing applies if you can get a potential elite guy at quarterback that can really skew the matchup especially when you're playing on the road or whatever so I think if you're an Ohio State fan you, 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 as much as I respect what Steven's saying as for, and I'm usually the one who, for, for me, I would rather have them get great players at every team and have it maybe there be more parity. But for, for a, an Ohio state fan, I think you need to root for Maryland to keep getting the, uh, the afterthoughts that they have been getting at quarterback because they're much easier to beat and you want to beat them. It's a great discussion about like you want your conference to be respected because all of this is about the playoff conversation and, and the format of the playoff structure matters, right? Is it, are you just trying to go undefeated? Are you trying that if you have one loss, you want the toughest schedule possible. So you look good compared to other one loss teams. There is a line to me. Absolutely. Of you do not want your schedule to be too tough. Now, for instance, in 2016, the reason that Ohio state was able to make the playoff without winning the Big Ten championship, not even making the Big Ten championship game, is that when you look at the standings at the end of the the year in the college football playoff, Ohio State was number three. They had a loss to number five, Penn State, but then they had a win over number six, Michigan, number seven, Oklahoma in the non-conference, and number eight, Wisconsin. If Michigan and Wisconsin were not that good and did not give Ohio State the opportunity to have good wins against them, Ohio State would not have made the playoff as a, as a non-champ. But if you assume that Penn State's not going anywhere, that Michigan's not really going anywhere, if you think Michigan State's going to come back to some degree, if you think that at least one of the West teams every year has a chance to give you a ranked win, if Maryland is like, if it was a battle between Penn State and Maryland for Caleb Williams, then maybe you want Maryland to win. But he's either going out of the Big Ten, or he's going to Maryland. I don't know that you need Maryland to be good for Ohio State's reputation. Like, do you guys feel in general that when it comes to the playoff conversation, the quality of the Big Ten right now is good enough that Ohio State doesn't need any more good games on the schedule? 
or in the name of making the playoff, could the Big Ten use a reputation boost? Short answer on that, Stephen. No, I think the Big Ten is solid enough that they don't need Maryland to be prop to get this quarterback and be propped up as another good team. All right, Nathan. I think Maryland just pushing up a little bit in the rankings with a better quarterback um, doesn't change it the way that it, it doesn't equate to having those top ten teams. If that makes sense, I don't think it's 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 not the same thing. No, but let's say. But I think the point is, what if Caleb Williams like he goes to Maryland by his junior year? Maryland's yeah. a top ten team. That's the whole point. It's not that Maryland is necessarily just a better opponent for Ohio State. It's that Maryland's good now. That like maybe he, they're not good when he's a freshman, but like by year three, Maryland's like the 16th best team in the country. Because maybe this kid, if they have the best quarterback in the country, he could make that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Would you want that as an Ohio State fan or no? Caleb Williams makes Maryland as a junior. They are the 16th best team in the country. Good for Ohio State or bad for Ohio State? But again, I, I think we've seen what Clemson has done these last couple of years. It was a point that you were making a couple of weeks ago that it doesn't, I mean, they keep getting in, even though they're beating up on people. And I think it matters how you beat up on people. So I don't know that it necessarily matters that one of these teams is in the top 10 or whatever. I think how you beat them sometimes matters just as much. I don't think I agree with that. I don't agree with that either. But if Clemson loses, then they're out. Well, if, yeah, but you're already in a position where I mean that's that that that's what gets really tough is if you're already saying well if, if that, you can't assume you're going to lose to make the playoff at all really I understand but that's the argument I think we're, that's being yes, made right now is the fact that Ohio State did lose in 2016 but because the Big Ten was as good as it was it allowed them to still get into the playoff. There are teams with losses in the playoff every year. They've never had four undefeated teams. In the right, playoff. but you can't necessarily assume that. I think there's once you do that, then you're really throwing yourself at the mercy. And I, I, I understand where you're where you're coming from. I still say you would rather not have a cal a quarterback of that caliber in your division, especially. I think I agree with that. But but your opponent, the level of your opponent quality matters a ton because yeah. actually I think you have to assume you're gonna lose once. And then how do you shake out? And then try to go undefeated. But that's the whole point of the BC. In the BCS, when it was just two, yeah, it was like undefeated or bust. And then if you lost, well, maybe you'll you'll back in like Ohio State did in 2007. I think there's enough parity that you sort of figure, you know, one-loss teams are getting in. How can we be one of those one-loss teams? Mm-hmm. But I think in the end, Caleb Williams turning what is right now almost a guaranteed win for Ohio State into a losable game – I don't think Especially there's, enough, the road. there's yeah. not enough bang for the buck. And so it's fun. It's fun to think about. Now, the other thing is if Maryland's good, but all of a sudden Michigan State stinks, then okay. Now Maryland's the third best team in the East or the fourth best team. It's Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and now Maryland instead of Michigan State. But if Michigan State's going to be good again, and now Maryland's getting good, and now all of a sudden your division is a freaking gauntlet, I don't think in the end – That's better for Ohio State. We'll come back with questions five, six, and seven right after this. You're listening to Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. All right, question number five from the 614. Do you consider yourself more a part of the Cleveland community where you, quote, work, or the Columbus community where you live? Do you find your audience to be mostly Northeast Ohio, or is it also a large part of it from Central Ohio? I'm a lifelong Columbus resident, Ohio State alum, and Cleveland sports fan, so I'm interested to hear you guys discuss this dynamic um i'm probably going to be the one that has the biggest answer on this because you guys are kind of new nathan 
you live in Columbus now, but you write for Cleveland.com. How do you feel like you balance the, your current Columbusness versus your current Clevelandness because both of them are new? Well, but I don't cover any Cleveland sports, and I don't I don't dally in that at all. I mean, I didn't start covering high schools there. I don't cover the Browns like you occasionally do. I mean, it's all just Ohio State, and yeah, and I, I live here. I've been to Cleveland three times in my life. Um, once uh, years ago visiting some people and then once to interview for this job. And then we've been back once since then. So three times. Um, That's, that's, so it's, I, of, of the three of us, I'm sure that I have the least connection to Cleveland just because I've barely ever even been there, you know, let alone had a, a work relationship with things that are going on in Cleveland. Yeah. Steven, lifelong Columbus resident, Stephen Means. Yeah, I think that's – because I'm a native of Columbus, I think I lean more Columbus, even though I've spent a decent amount of time in northeast Ohio going to school up there. But because I'm – like, to the point, we don't go to Cleveland often, even though we work for a Cleveland out, outlet. We cover a sport in Columbus. But also, I've just, I'm from here, so I have to lean more Columbus than I do Cleveland. Okay, so here's the deal on this. You don't have to live in a community to be connected to the community. And it's interesting in the internet age that everybody writes for everyone now. And there was a time, I mean, when I started off working at the Plain Dealer in 2005, it's like most of the people who were reading me were reading me in the Cleveland area. I was the Ohio State writer for people in Cleveland. And if you lived in Columbus, you mostly read the dispatch and you probably weren't reading me. Nowadays, you know, like in terms of like, where is our audience? I mean, just by our tech subscriptions, this person is from the 614. We see your area codes when you're a tech subscriber. We have a lot of Northeast. I mean, we have a lot of Central Ohio people. We have a lot of like other parts of Ohio people, but we do also get a lot of 216s, a lot of 330s. We have a lot of Northeast Ohio people. I think there is a balance. I think at this point, we're probably pretty balanced between like Northeast Ohio audience central Ohio audience and like nationwide audience in terms of just Ohio state fans who are out in the world, whether they originally came from Northeast Ohio or not. But I always keep in mind some part of it and less than I did back in the day, but I always keep in mind that I am writing about Ohio state from a Cleveland perspective enough that Troy Smith mattered more to me then he should have mattered to anybody else because he was the Ohio State quarterback for everybody. But for me, he was also from Cleveland. And I try to keep that. Tyreek Smith should matter more to us than Zach Harrison should. Not a ton more, but Tyreek Smith is from Cleveland and Zach Harrison is from Columbus. Like, you guys never worked for the paper. You always worked for the website and the website makes you accessible to the whole world. But do you agree with that idea, Nathan, that you think if a kid on the Ohio State roster is from Northeast Ohio, that means a little bit more to us or, or not really? No, I, I do agree. I, it's something that I, I try to be cognizant of, you know, which guys have that connection, um, but not to the point where we care more about um, second line guys who happen to be from Cleveland than we do about the frontline guys. You know what I mean? Like we don't care more about um, backup offensive lineman who doesn't play than we do about the five starters, that sort of thing. No, I but- agree with that. No, I agree with that. Like it's with, just to use the Troy Smith thing as an example. Yes. 
he's a Cleveland guy, but also he was the starting quarterback in the Heisman Trophy winner of an undefeated Ohio State team. Of course. And the, bon- the bonus was Cleveland. So if, if Tyreek Smith is an all a consistent All-American, the bonus part is he's also from Cleveland. So that's another part of our storytelling. But to that, it matters more when they're the stars of the team than it would be for, you know, anybody. But, but here's the thing. But it's not like we don't have time to write about other people. It's not like we say, well, I have to write 79 stories about Justin Fields so I can never write about anybody else on the team. And I do think there I – mean, I, I wrote a lot about, like, Nick Serac, who was a walk-on. Um, and he was from Northeast Ohio. Like, he mattered more to me because I, I probably wouldn't have written about – I wrote about Kevin Woodkey last year who's a backup offensive lineman and a walk-on who earned a scholarship because he's from Northeast Ohio. If he had been a walk-on who earned a scholarship from Cincinnati, I wouldn't have cared as much. So there's always, we always write about more than just the stars. I think we need to keep that in mind. I mean, I, I maybe, maybe you guys haven't thought about that as much the same way. I still think that, because here's the thing too, that, that comes into play. And I joke about this, but it's not always a joke. If we're writing about Ohio state and Baker Mayfield calls Daniel Jones, a mama's boy. Sometimes I'll say like, well, no more Ohio State stories for the website today because we are aware that things that happen, if the day that the Indians trade Francisco Lindor is not a great day for us to put up a feature on Harry Miller because it's going to get swamped by the 400 stories that our website will be writing about Francisco Lindor, whereas the Columbus Dispatch wouldn't care about Francisco Lindor. So they're going to write their Harry Miller stories no matter what. So I do view us as we write for the world. We cover Ohio State as well as anybody. But I view it through enough of a Cleveland lens that it does, I would, it does affect 25% of what I think about and write about in covering this team. From that standpoint, it's fair, but that's more just us understanding that you know people care more about the sports in the Cleveland area than they do in Columbus because of the market we're in. So yeah, if if Baker Mayfield shows up to a press conference and he does something that's ridiculous, then yeah, for us that probably need, means we need to hold back a little bit. But that's more of that than it is you know us caring about the the kid who's on Ohio State football team who's the third string you know center because he's from Northeast Ohio. I think those are two different ways of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm telling you, you should care about the third-string kid who's from Northeast Ohio. And if you guys aren't thinking that way at the moment, I, w- I think we should, honestly. I'm not saying I don't think – we don't think about it at all. I'm just saying I, yeah. you don't – I don't – that's not a priority to me over the best players on but the team. But it's not over. But it's not over. We can't pretend – it's like we're going to write enough about Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson will get his stories. But don't you? But it's it's something. It's, it's on the list, right? Isn't it on the oh, list? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, it's still sure. on the list. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anybody's not saying that. Yeah, no, I mean, like Garrett Wilson will get his stories. He's famous. He's from Texas. All right, number six from the four four zero. It's Tammy from the four four zero. What current Ohio State coach will be a head coach at another program the soonest? Ten candidates. You guys know the assistant coaches. Nathan, who you got? Kevin Wilson. <laughs> you just think he's gonna take any random? Most. Yeah, he's gonna take some random job. <laughs> that makes sense. I went with Al Washington just because he's already started to pop up on lists. He's a young guy with a lot of room to grow. I think I'll, I'll go with Al Washington. So it feels like to me, and, and maybe it's just what I've been reading, but um, I definitely read a story the other day about the evolution of the spread offense. And maybe it was just this one story that affected 
my viewpoint on this. But um, Kevin Wilson is really, in the story of the spread offense in college football, um, he is like a major, major player. And this story was making that clear with what he did at Northwestern in the 2000s. He was incorporating some of the Rich Rodriguez stuff. Um, and it was funny, Landis and I talked about this many years ago, of like diving into a story about this, about the two kinds of spread offenses, sort of the spread where it's just a, a run and shoot, Art Bryles kind of Mike Leach air raid kind of spread. Um, and like the Urban Meyer sort of like power run kind of spread, which is a very different thing. I mean, you look at Urban Meyer ran the spread, but his ideal quarterback was Tim Tebow and JT Barrett. You know, Mike Leach does, does not have quarterbacks like that. He has Gardner Minshew, and they're throwing it 55 times a game. Kevin Wilson is at the heart of that discussion. And I don't know if it's just that people are looking backwards right now and doing sort of a lot of, you know, historic kind of writing because there's nothing happening or, or what it is. But it feels to me like Kevin Wilson is getting a little push right now and that the world is being reminded. And the reason that this matters is because university presidents and athletic directors and donors and boosters, they all read the same stuff we read. And that's why when a, when a reporter does a nice feature story on an assistant coach, it actually can matter sometimes because it puts a guy on a radar. It feels like Kevin Wilson is getting back on the radar in a bigger way. And if people are saying like, you know what, this guy is kind of an offensive genius and he's sort of just sitting there at Ohio State with a head coach who is calling the plays. Yeah, he kind of had this thing at Indiana, but like we could go get that guy. He is there for the taking. Maybe it's just because I read one story about it, but I feel like we've joked about in the podcast before, Kevin Wilson is ready and would go. It feels to me like I feel momentum toward that. And I'm almost at the point where I might predict that this is Kevin Wilson's last year at Ohio State, because I think maybe enough of the Indiana stuff has faded. And there's enough of a reminder of this stuff that somebody's going to come get him after this year. Well said. Would you agree with that? Kevin Wilson, this is his last year as an Ohio State assistant. I wouldn't be shocked. Is, that, is this a precursor to Mark It Down Monday? Yeah, I th yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. Where, probably where, should yeah. have saved it. Who <laughs> will be writing Kevin Wilson's checks 12 months from now? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, I mean, I just think that kind of thing is out there. And I go, I, I mean, he's not going to, again, he's not going to get the USC job, but some kind of like, a, a decent non-Power 5 school or maybe like a bottom-tier Power 5 school. I think that might be out there for him. All right, last one. Number seven from the 561. What will be the plot of the first Hollywood movie taking place during the pandemic? Bonus points for who will star in the movie. So this is the movie that now is being written. All the screenwriters are locked in their houses or coming up with ideas. They're going to start as soon as we're done social distancing. They'll get up. They'll start filming it. And there will be a rash of pandemic movies, just like it always happens. World War II movies and Vietnam movies. And every time there's a big moment in society, it's obviously reflected uh, in, our, in our arts and culture. Steven, do you have your pitch for your pandemic movie? I do. And it's a Will Ferrell movie. So it's, you know, a cheesy, funny movie. And I'm going to call it 60 Days and 60 Nights. Now, obviously, we've been in quarantine a little bit longer than that. But the whole point is we've been in here inside for two months. And it's him and let's just it's step brothers like where you're stuck in the house with it's just you and your roommate 
in a house and you realize how much you don't actually like this person because you are actually around them 24 seven all the time. And you get to see all the little interests that they have when you're not at home, the things that you do when they're not at home. And because you're around them so much, you go from this person probably being one of the closest people in your life to actually hating them because of what these 60 days have done to you too. Steven, can I ask you a question? Yes. You have a roommate, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does that roommate listen to this podcast? <laughs> he does not, but he has heard me in here talking on it for the last two months. Okay. And every day I have to apologize and, hey, I'm sorry that I am screaming oh. throughout the home. So I so it's not that you're Will Ferrell, it's that he's Will Ferrell. No, I think no, honestly, I think he doesn't really like he doesn't work from home. Like like we obviously do, especially at this point in a in a year where it's the off season and we're working from our houses anyway. So he didn't realize how awful this can be to just be at home all day. Especially when you don't have anywhere to go. And he's like, Man, it's just and so one day he was just like, Is this what you do all day? And I was like, eh. For about two and a half hours a week, yeah, this is how I'm yelling through a you know a microphone usually, but not all day. Was like, man, this is getting pretty annoying, man. It's like, you know, well, interesting. You can go I, out on the deck. I like that pitch. I would watch that movie. That's a very good pitch. I would suggest you write that up and send that to an agent. Uh, Nathan, yeah, we'll, we'll see if we renew on this lease. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. and that's and Stephen moved to Hollywood yeah. uh, without his roommate. Um, Nathan, what's your pitch? So this it sounds like a movie that I would not want any – I would not want to watch this movie, but I think it's exactly the kind of movie that is getting written right now. So um, it, it's a romantic comedy about a relationship that begins with a Zoom call and then lasts all the way through to, like, a Zoom engagement, and then the people have to meet. Oh, that's very good. So, oh, like, I'm thinking, like – so I picked uh, – since we get extra credit for, for, uh, for a cast, I picked Anna Kendrick – as the female lead, she's a sports writer nice. who, gets, who gets pulled over to write COVID stories. Good. And then uh, for the male lead, I picked uh, Dev Patel, who's an actor I really like and who uh, a lot of my uh, female friends really like. And who probably, Slumdog Millionaire guy, right? Yeah, guy just needs, yeah, he was on the newsroom. He was in Lion. Um, just, he's been a lot of stuff. He's a compelling guy, and, and chicks like him, and I think he needs more exposure. So he plays a guy – who uh, lives at home with his parents, but he invents a uh, a self a male self haircutting device. It becomes a sensation during the pandemic because uh, it's it's hard for us to cut our hair, except unless you're just going to use clippers and buzz it, I guess. So yeah, I don't know what that device is, but something. Um, so she so starts they, off interviewing him for the story. It's assigned to interview him for a story. There's there's it, they 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 hit it off. They come up with some other reason to do another Zoom call, and pretty soon they have like a first date on Zoom, and like you just carry it all the way through, right? Like the first intimate encounters happen on Zoom. Um, they meet friends and parents through Zoom. Finally, so it finally progresses. But then there's there's got to be some kind of um, some stakes at some point, right? Like so, I'm thinking like not to be too serious, but like either one of them is, has like, is like immunocompromised or their parents are or whatever. So they're like hesitant to actually meet while the pandemic is going on. And that causes a bunch of conflict. I really like that. I would watch both these movies so far. We're losing both you guys to Hollywood. I don't we like this to have, topic anymore. We need yeah. to have a Lamerie's family 
movie bracket of the movie pitches that we're doing right now. Wow. Okay. Very good. So we have sort of like the Will Ferrell buddy comedy that gets a little serious. Then we have the rom-com. All right. I went serious with mine. Um, And mine is a story of two doctors in New York that live together but are thinking about getting engaged. Um, And they both get caught up in the pandemic taking care of people. It's called the it's called PPE is the name of the movie. And so um, the male guy, the male doctor is Miles Teller, who I very vividly remember this right when he was getting famous, whenever they had the, the all-star game in Cincinnati, the baseball all-star game a few years ago, I went down and covered it because Urban Meyer was playing in the celebrity softball game. And I was just like sitting in the stands watching through binoculars and watching Urban Meyer the whole time. And he was sitting on the bench next to Miles Teller, like the whole game. And they did not say a word to each other. And it was just like, I could just tell that Urban Meyer was like, who is this freaking guy next to me? And it's like, that's the guy from Whiplash, man. Like, he's got to be pretty famous. And Urban Meyer had no interest in talking to him. So I don't know, not that I'm normally like this, but I have sort of absorbed that. And I, as a result, don't like Miles Teller. I also don't want to see him in movies because now I think he's annoying. So he's the guy, and then Brie Larson, and I, because I took a shot at Captain Marvel a couple podcasts ago, she's the, the woman doctor. And they're a couple, they both go to work, and it's all about them, like, working in the emergency room in a New York City hospital as all this stuff is going on. And Miles Teller, I've always had this debate with a friend of mine, when you're a doctor, the mo- your motivations as a doctor, how much does it matter? Or are your actions enough? If you're saving people, does it matter why you're motivated to save people? So the Miles Teller guy is like a cocky guy with a God complex. He thinks he's cool. He just wants to be a doctor to be rich. He's not really in it to help people, but he's a doctor. He's helping people. Brie Larson, much more feeling empathetic. She wants to be a doctor to help people. So they're working. Miles Teller gets coronavirus. Now he's on a ventilator. Brie Larson is like taking care of him. Before, she was having doubts about the relationship before he got sick, but now she was sort of watching him be a good guy. It was affecting how she viewed him. Now he's on a ventilator. It looks like he's going to die. So that way, that gets Miles Teller off the screen. Most of the movie, he's just lying in a bed in a ventilator, so I don't have to watch him. And then it While just you were becomes, sleeping. Yeah, like while you're sleeping. And then we just let Brie Larson do her thing. And when she's not a superhero, I really like her. So Brie Larson is saving people. She's trying to help her her boyfriend, and you go through the whole thing. You don't know if Miles Teller is going to die or not. And so at the end of it, he comes out of it. He's going to be okay. And now I think this could go one of two ways. My original idea was um, that, like, now he comes out of it. He's a changed man, right? He's gone through this. Now all of a sudden he doesn't have a God complex. He's not a doctor just for money. Now he's all empathetic and stuff, and now she gets it. And now she gets coronavirus, and maybe she dies. And now he goes on and now he's going to be a doctor for the rest of his life and he's going to take on her attributes. Or we cut it short a little bit. He wakes up. It's like he's going to be okay. He comes off the ventilator. They decide that they're going to get married. They're going to be together. And then like she coughs and it's like, and then the movie ends and it's like, you don't know, does she have it or not? What's going to happen with them? But I think there's going to be a lot of like, right? There's going to there's gonna be a lot of sad stuff with this. I like your guys' ideas about people trapped, but it's an invisible enemy. So I'm, I'm curious if there's going to be like how they're going to make hero movies out of this kind of thing, right? Because it can't like be a war movie where you fight the bad guys. 
So I think when you have heroes in pandemic movies, they're going to have to be doctors, right? And there's going to be movies like that. So that's my pitch. And maybe, or we could just have Miles Teller die because I think he's kind of annoying. Wow. Would you guys watch PPE or no? I would watch it. It's dark, yeah. It's just like you really want to end Miles Teller's career. Like, no, he'd probably win a freaking Oscar. He'd win a freaking Oscar for this. <laughs> just, just to pitch, just to make you yeah. upset, he'd win the Oscar. Yeah. So All right. I think I'll, what's the Matt Damon? Lo- go ahead. Contagion. Contag- People should just go watch Contagion. It's kind or, of- or maybe the uh, Planet of the Apes series, where like at the end of the first movie, when the guy, when um, the pilot gets off the airplane and he's got the disease or whatever from that canister, and all of a sudden in the credits you're showing it spreading all over the place, and that's how this starts. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, because it's already, what's actually happening is terrible enough. It's going to be interesting yeah. how this does get dramatized, right? And I was talking about this with my wife, and this is it for the podcast. We're not, done, we're not talking more football. If you're tired of us, you can stop. Um, do you guys like watching movies or TV shows where the main thing of it is to, like, make you cry? No. It's like, here's the show. What's the deal with the show? Like, there's a new TV show that started, and it's like the first episode is like, I'm a kid. My dad gets cancer. He yeah, died. Now this is what happens. And I'm like, why would anyone watch yeah. that? I have no interest in entertainment that makes me sad. Do you guys – I'm not sure I would watch PPE. Do you guys like things that are, like, no. sad? No, I, I don't, don't like, like to be manipulated. Like and I don't like shows where every single episode, the most extreme and dramatic thing happens. Yeah. So I'll be curious how people, how, how directors and writers and actors and actresses walk the line coming out of this pandemic because, uh, you know, it all kind of sucks. So then what are you going to, I'm not sure that people are going to want to like relive it. Like, oh, cool. Oh, oh, the pandemic's finally over. Let's go watch a movie about it. Now we're finally allowed back in movie theaters for the first time in however long. What are you going to see? I'm going to see a thing about how we couldn't go to movies for a year. I don't know. All right. 614-350-3315 for the texts. Get ready for Market Down Monday, our next podcast coming up on Buckeye Talk. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop an Apple Talk or Apple Podcast review. Appreciate all your thoughts on Buckeye Talk. Again, if you didn't catch the Wednesday one, people liked it, so you make sure you backtrack and catch that. Coming next week, in addition to Market Down Monday, we will have our Rutgers preview um, week four for the Ohio State Buckeyes in 2020. But for now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.